Let's turn to the back of your hymnals this evening to Lord's Day 38, page 891. So we'll be looking at the fourth commandment this evening, and then we'll be looking at, beginning at Deuteronomy chapter 5, as we hear that command given by God through Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 5, page 150 in your the Bible's there in front of you. We come to the fourth commandment, and I don't know if I dare ask, but what are your memories of this command as you have heard it expounded? Perhaps there are memories of discussions of what you could and couldn't do on Sunday. Maybe you've had good memories. Maybe you've had not-so-pleasant memories I know as a young person, a child, I wasn't always so appreciative of Sunday. It always felt like a day of prohibition, what couldn't be done. And so this evening we want to consider what it is that God would be teaching us. You'll see that final point in our outline tonight. It is a day to work, worship, and wonder. That's where we're headed tonight as we, as we look at, at this commandment together. Begin by reading God's word, fourth commandment set out for us in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 12 to 15. This is the word of God. You are to observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Then looking at question and answer 103, where we find the treatment of this commandment, question 103, what is God's will for you in the fourth commandment? The answer, first, that the gospel ministry and schools for it be maintained, that especially on the festive day of rest, I diligently attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments to pray to the Lord publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. Second, that every day of my life I rest from my evil ways, let the Lord work in me through his spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Dear people of God, the writers of the Heidelberg Catechism describe... The Sabbath as the festive day of rest. I wonder if that's how you see Sunday. The festive day of rest. Do those two terms go together? Festive and rest. And yet I do think that this is very helpful for us as we consider what it means to observe the Sabbath day, to keep the Sabbath day holy. This 
day. Is it a day rich in memories of fellowship and rest? Is it a day of memories of works of mercy and of necessity? And of gathering together in corporate worship? When the Israelites prepared to enter the promised land with the hopes of, of this newfound freedom, the Lord said, you shall be delivered from there and you will go into the land of promise. And he said, but when you come in, I want you to remember whose you are. And I want to remember, I want you to, to set before you that you are free from sin that you might now live for me, the one true God. Remember these commandments as they come before us. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. What's going on in Egypt at the time that they're in slavery? Well, they're seeing all around them all of these many gods, and they're serving these, these false gods around them. They're seeing that uh, uh, there's many different ways to worship. Well, the second commandment says you shall worship only in the way that I command He's setting this out because their, their history, their background is, is, is somewhat uh, uh, confused. And then he says, be careful how you take my name upon your lips. Do so, but so that truth might be set forth, that people around you might know that you hold yourself before me as those who are filled with integrity. The Lord tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 12 that their time of nomadic existence will end, that he will choose a place for them, Deuteronomy 12 verse 5 tells us, and that he will establish a place and make his habitation there, and there you shall go. There you shall meet. There you shall worship. Now that is not in... in distinction from what Jesus says to the woman at the well. He says, there will come a day when you will no longer say, I will worship God here or there, but you'll worship in spirit and in truth. That doesn't, that Jesus was not saying that there was not a place for us to gather and worship. He was saying, though, that it is not the place per se. She was asking, is it on Mount Gerizim or is it in Jerusalem? He was saying that it was in one's heart that worship is truly found. Do we come to worship from our hearts? Going on in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 7 and 12 say, when you come, rejoice. That's how we worship. We we rejoice when we come and worship. There's that festive day of rest. Do we truly come and rejoice? Perhaps when you think of the, second, or the fourth commandment, rather, you're not thinking of joy and celebration. Perhaps you're thinking of the discussions of bringing about, again, that list of do's and don'ts. The, excuse me, the more traditional way of, of looking at the commandment uh, was, well, you can do this and you may not do that. <coughs> I remember Ed Clowney, one, Edmund Clowney, one of my professors at, Westmin- or at um, Westminster Seminary, saying when he was a young man, he could only read hardback books on Sunday. Soft cover books were for the rest of the week. Now, I assume that means that hardback was the substantial theological works and the softback books were those mysteries and all of the others. But there was a distinction that was being made there. We oftentimes think of, yeah, well, that's what Sunday was about. Can't ride your bike, can't play basketball, can't do this, can't... But the Bible sets before us when we, when we have this day given to us, it's a day to celebrate, a day to rejoice. 
as God speaks to us. Now, there's that traditional way of looking at the the Lord's Day, and then there's this more modern day of looking at the Lord's Day, which is, oh yeah, it's a separate day, all right. It's the day I catch up on everything else that I couldn't get done Monday through Saturday. Or it's the day that I just kind of relax. I go hard all week, maybe stay out late on Saturday night, and then Sunday morning I sleep in, and then, oh, got to get the yard work done. And then the rest of the afternoon I kind of mellow out in front of the television. And it's a day of rest. It's kind of a holiday, if you will. Not a holy day, but a holiday. Well, God has something more for us than just this idea of joyless observance or that of an unbridled freedom, that it's just a day that I can do whatever I want to catch up, to do what I need to get done. Sunday should be a day of joy and delight. Deuteronomy 12 tells us, as well as a day with, that has a purpose to explain to us what is it that God would have us to do as we go out again into the various work that we have been called to. Jesus taught so very often by uh, what he did and when he did it. He and his disciples were watched closely by the Pharisees when they uh, uh, were going out teaching and going out uh, about in the villages. And one such instance is recorded for us in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, they're on a Sabbath day going out and they're participating in or, or carrying out things on the Sabbath that the Pharisees didn't like. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they, that is he and his disciples, made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus was guilty, if you will, of works of necessity or that which was necessary and work of mercy. And The Pharisees were angry. Their harsh and harmful legalism had led them to obliterate all kindness in their system. 
Jesus was accused of the Pharisees, by the Pharisees of breaking the Sabbath, but he wasn't breaking the Sabbath so much as their understanding of it. And they had many rules. They had many laws. Listen to some of them. The Fer- some of the Pharisees' rules for the Sabbath, you could walk five steps, but that after the fifth one, you had to stop and rest before you took the sixth step, or you'd be breaking the Sabbath. Women could not wear ribbons in their hair on the Sabbath. That was carrying a burden. No one could drag a stick on the ground on the Sabbath day. That was plowing. No one could pluck out a gray hair on the Sabbath day. That was reaping. Now, Jesus receives the stares and the glares of these teachers as they accuse him of breaking the Sabbath. And he said, he reminded them of David. And he said, What did David do in his time of need? He and his men partook of the consecrated bread, that which was only for the priests because they were starving, because they were hungry. This was something that they needed. So Jesus said, I and my disciples in our need are not breaking any law by taking hold of grain when it is, though it is the Sabbath. When Jesus, just as Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, as he, that is set before us there in chapter 3, so too he says his disciples should act mercifully to meet human needs. So if the Lord, or rather if we are doing works of necessity and works of mercy on the Lord's day, then we are accused before the Lord as being like unto our Savior who would do that which needed to be done. Jesus was angry at these religious leaders for their hardness of heart, for their narrowness. He was upset that they had turned that which God had intended for delight into something rigid and formal and ugly. And he says that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He meant that, at least in part, that it was given as a day in which we could engage in those works that would show that we care for those around us, that we would love them where necessary to help and where we can to show mercy. He said, the Lord, the Son of Man, is even Lord of the Sabbath He's Lord over all. The Sabbath rest was introduced, you remember, at the beginning in Genesis when creation took place. Genesis 2.2 tells us God created, and after he had finished creation, he rested. There, Jesus, who brought all things into existence, as you remember, John chapter 1, in the Father rested to show that we too are to rest from our weekly labors to look to him to recognize his creative lordship, that he worked, that he set it all before us, and to celebrate and to remember his recreative worship. For it was on the first Lord's Day that we remember the resurrection took place. You look at the end of the Gospels, it says, on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb, and there they found that Jesus had risen. Testament to what God had done to deliver one Commentator says this, because the Sabbath is the Lord's day, 
all our thoughts about what we are to do or not do on that day are put into the context of our relationship with this loving and grace-filled Lord. As we take joy in the gift of rest, we thank him for his creative and recreative work at the cross and the empty tomb. We've sung of that already tonight. Those creative and recreative works of God provide the structure for our understanding of what real rest is. The writers of the Catechism pick up on that and they say this, that we are to rest from our evil ways, to let the Lord work in us through his spirit, and so to begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. The Lord speaks to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 58 about what this observance of the Lord's day looks like. Isaiah 58, God has declared this. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, if you honor the Lord by this, not going your own way or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you will find your joy in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If we see that the day belongs to the Lord, it won't be a drudgery, but we will pay attention to what he's calling us to, looking through the scriptures, remembering what we are called to we are to live, to treat one another. It isn't altogether clear what that poetic statement there in verse 14 means. You will ride on the heights of the earth, but one has offered this by means of of interpretation. To ride on the heights seems to describe a joy that one does not normally know, a joy that comes from understanding how God would have us to live. We were made for the Lord and not ourselves. He's saying if our time is strictly seen in our minds to do our pleasure, we will not know the joy the Lord has for us. It doesn't make the Sabbath unpleasurable to say that if we don't do our own pleasure, but take delight in the Lord, he's not saying it's going to be unpleasurable, but rather it will be instructive. There will be instruction of what it what God is doing in his recreative work. Reminding us that we were made for more than what the world sells or sets before us. First day of the week then sets that tone for us. Reminding us of whom we will listen to first. Where is our priority? Who will fill my life with joy? The answer is the Lord. We set the day of the Lord, the day for the Lord, not for our own projects that we hope to get done or to merely check out an inactivity. Our time will become much richer and so much healthier. One commentator lays out three things that the Lord wants from us on his day, and he wants us to think about. We'll look at that in just a moment. Listen to what B.B. Warfield says about the Sabbath. He says this, God who needed no rest in the greatness of his condescension rested from the work which he had creatively made that by his example he might woo man to his needed rest. That he might think about his needed rest. 
to come away to think and to ponder, work and worship and wonder. Let's think about that a bit under this last point this evening. God wants us to set his day apart to consider our work, our worship, and our wonder. The Lord tells us that we are to keep the Sabbath day holy. Then he says what that means. That means six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son or daughter, manservant or maidservant, your ox, anything. Not your servants, for they are to rest even as you do. We follow the pattern God sets before us. Six days and rest. God commands God's command sets before us our need for rest. Jesus says the Sabbath was made for man, that we would rest physically, knowing our limitations, mentally, that we would refresh, and spiritually remembering that we need the Lord to deliver. But it's not altogether clear that we would do that if left to ourselves, if left to our own ideas how to spend that day. There's good reasons to, put your, to send your pastor on vacation or allow him to go on vacation every now and again. It's good for me to be out of the pulpit, and this is why. Because when I go on vacation and I don't have to preach, I think, oh, this is how hard it is to go to church. It's very tempting to say, well, I'm not preaching today. Maybe we could do something else. My wife keeps me honest. But it is so very tempting to say, well, this rest, this idea that I have for this day or even for this stretch of time, it's just for me. And this is how I want to spend it. But God says to do so is to give thought only to your perspective and not mine, which I have codified in my law to stand forever. Sunday is not marked by inactivity or just for ourselves. We rest because God rests to be sure, but that doesn't mean that every time we put down our tools or our towels that we do nothing. Like the Father and the Son who work to help those in need and engage in works of mercy, so we are to do the same. We remember that our lives are to be giving honor to God. Our days are a gift in which we are to live for Him and to follow after His commands, for in them there is life. They are not burdensome. Each of the commandments calls us to see some way in which we honor the Lord. The first commandment, we honor God. We honor the Lord by giving Him exclusive loyalty. Second commandment, we honor God and we honor the Lord by how we worship in obedience to His command. Third command, we honor God with our words by keeping truth. And the fourth commandment, as we're looking at tonight, we honor God with our time and our priorities, looking to him to remake us. We read in Ephesians 5, listen or look carefully how you walk. Look carefully how you walk, making the most of your time because the days are evil. 
How do we work? Are we aware that we are to be working to make much of the Lord in all that we do and say? What about our worship? The Lord's Day is set, a, set apart for something special in it, a time set apart for worship. Corporate worship is what most characterized the New Testament believers. We can see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, where they gathered together for the apostles' teaching, for the breaking of bread, for the prayers, for fellowship. Writers of the Heidelberg Catechism saw God's will in the fourth commandment as speaking to a well-educated clergy. Now, there's a lot of history behind this, this answer we won't go into tonight, but, but just, just to, to, to look at it briefly, there, there, were, there, there was Latin being spoken in the churches. The people were, were not understanding what was ha- taking place. There was, a, there was a, 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 an uneducated uh, people, an illiterate people. And they were concerned that they be led by a trained minister. The question was, in the time of the Reformation, if I'm going to leave the the church that is deformed, what does a true church look like? And one of the marks was this, that faithful preaching of God's word. And for that to take place, an education needed to be maintained. And there was to be also a diligent attendance to the assembly of God's people to be gathered together and not to neglect this gathering together. The sacraments, we're to participate in the sacraments, not to have the priest break the bread, not to have the priest hold the cup and to look at it from a distance, but to partake, to participate. And the prayers offered to the Lord publicly that together as a body of believers we might delight in the joy of God's daily grace through trial and also in times of blessing. And there was a command to bring Christian offerings for the poor as we acknowledge the need around us. We're reminded also, the writers of the Catechism put it, that every day our lives, of our lives, we are to rest from our evil ways that we're to let the Lord work in us through his spirit and that in this way we are to begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. This is that setting of the week before us. How we are to live. In the Blue Psalter, the song Safely Through Another Week, we read these words of that song. God has brought us on our way. Let us now a blessing seek waiting in his courts today, day of all the week the best, emblem of eternal rest, resting in the Lord, finding it that great day to reorient us. In the Trinity Psalter 155, which I am not so terribly familiar with, but I've found to be quite uh, helpful. Listen to these lyrics. Praise God for joy of Sabbath blessed. We from our toil have taken rest. On wondrous manna we have fed, in acts of mercy, spirit-led. This day of worship we rejoice, we heed the word of Sinai's voice, through means of grace one day in seven, by faith receive true hope from heaven. Keep us, we pray, this week from sin, renew our minds, transform within. Let holy thoughts our minds recall, and sleep our dreams with peace enthrall. 
Pay homage now to Christ the King. The Father, Spirit, rise to Him. Lift up your hearts on this Lord's Day. Go forth to honor and obey. There's that, the, the setting of the week before us. How we are to live. And then, lastly, our wonder. This is a day when we must speak of our wonder at God's work in us. God's promise promises to work in us when gathered under the preached word. He promises to do that. This particular time, he says, this is how faith comes about through the hearing of the preached word. The gathering of the people. Calvin, John Calvin said this, on the Lord's Day, believers ought to lay aside their own works to allow God to work in them. And that is directly out of, uh, out of Exodus 31. Exodus 31, where the Lord declares why he gathers us together. Listen to these words. The Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. We come together to remember that God sanctifies, that he calls us to wonder at this. The Lord's Day is to be used for those special activities which enhance the wonder of belonging to our great covenant-keeping God. Well, then we think positively about what we can do on this day. The Lord's Day is a delight, as we've heard from Deuteronomy. It's to be a delight, as we've heard from Deuteronomy chapter 12. It's a day given that you might delight in the Lord in acts of hospitality, in evangelism, in discipleship. It's a day in which we evaluate our activities against the primary purpose of the day, which is this, that it's holy to the Lord. How is this day reorienting us to God? How is it helping us to think about our calling? We remember that this day belongs to Jesus. It's a day of gladness and triumph. Our Lord and Savior arose on the first day of the week. So on this day, we remember that we are no longer enslaved to sin, but set free to do the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do in a way that is pleasing to him. The author of Hebrews says this, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Every Lord's Day we are reminded of the beginning, six days of labor and then rest. It is a reminder of who we are now. In Christ we're made new to rest from evil and live for the Lord. It is a reminder of what is yet to come the eternal Sabbath when all sin and wickedness will be destroyed and we will work and rest in the Lord forever, thanking Him for creating the world and recreating us. May God help us in this. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have gathered again this Lord's Day, we pray that You would, according to Your promise, in keeping Your promise, work in our hearts that we would would turn from evil that we would delight to live for you, to want to serve you, to remember that we were made for you. We ask, O Lord, that you would forgive our many sins for the sake of your Son, that you would remember his work, even as we do on this first day of the week, 
that it was received by you as perfect sacrifice such that he rose again, defeating death, removing penalty. Lord, may your spirit now lead us and empower us to go out to want to live for you and how we speak, what we do, even in how we think. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.